Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for March 12th, 2018. Featuring new Brooklyn Poets Prof. Shira Ehrlichman leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off Smith Street, near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more information about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's broken, <laughs> this month's broken lineup, this month's Brooklyn Poets open mic lineup featured Ingemar Ramirez, Phil Eggers, Gerald Wagoner, Beatrice Kay, Jackie Schicker, Denise Bell, Harvey Sauce, Lauren Gerber Fleury, Bonnie Belay, Alan Braverman, Julie Hart, Callie Rogers, Del Lemon, Emma Rojas, Richard Fine, Isaac Myers III, Bill Livingston, Emily Blair, Tess Congo, Creighton Blinn, Sasha Warnerberry, and last but not least, Arthur Russell. So, hope you're excited to listen to our broken open mic lineup. We're always broken, us poets. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Nah, 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 nah. That's a, you're still talking, Creighton. Creighton Blinn. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Let's get a real round of applause up in here. This is the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic. How's the sound levels? Good? All right. That matter is taken care of. We're in the big room tonight. It's pretty exciting. Once again, big round of applause for 61 Local for accommodating us down here. Thank you to Stephanie in particular for massaging the situation in the best way possible. I'm amazed. Honestly, I'm amazed it's going this well. And big round of applause for you guys, too, for being so well-adjusted or adjustable for adjusting to this foreign situation. Once again, please support the bar. Buy some drinks. Buy some food. If you, if you want some food recommendations, definitely talk to me. Their chili is amazing. Their grilled cheese is amazing. Really, you can't go wrong with anything on the menu. Uh, and I recommend personally the Soju Rita. If you want a margarita but without the tequila, that's the way to go. How you all doing? You, got, you guys all got weirdly silent during that recommendation. You're just like, why would I ever drink that? You know? Some of you are still looking at me like, who the fuck is this guy? I'm here to read poetry, not drink. Well, those two acts are not mutually exclusive, believe it or not. Uh, if you're wondering who I am, I'm Jason Kuhn, Executive Director of Book and Poets. I'll also be your MC tonight. Thank you for that little smattering of applause. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you, Arthur. Uh, if you've never been here before, there's a few ground rules. One, every poet gets one poem, three minutes max on the mic. It's very important. It's mainly for you know, us getting as many poets as possible. It seems like the lights are dimming. You don't need to dim the lights if you don't want to. It actually helps our pictures if they're a little brighter. <laughs> um, one poem, three minutes max, on the mic. Uh, we do have a wait list. We try to get as many wait list posts as possible. That's not really possible if you're up here for like six minutes, all right? So just be conscious of your time. Uh, we do record the open mic as a podcast. We call it the Yopcast, which you can subscribe to on iTunes. We publish that usually a couple weeks after each event. If you don't want to be in the recording, just talk to me. I can take you off the recording. No problem. 
Uh, I feel like I'm already through the announcements and I'm done. Oh, the vote. Also, every month we vote for Poem of the Month at the Broken Poets Yop, and the 12 winners of Poem of the Month over the course of the year compete for Poem of the Year honors in December, which is at the December Yop, and that award comes with cash money. So definitely a big thing. Also, you get a Poet of the Week feature. You get a free membership. You get a lot of shit for that event and that award if you win. If you don't win, you just go home with a nice pat on the back and a few rounds of applause. But that's good, too. Uh, if you win Poe of the Month, you are automatically uh, entered into that contest. You also get free admission to a future yop. The way you vote is you just text me the name of the poet, name of the title. Honestly, the name of the poet is the best thing, and I'll be repeating their names throughout the night. My number for the first time tonight, if you'd like to write it down, if you don't have it already, is 718-374-1953. Please only vote once. Do not text your friends that are not at the event to vote for you, because that is some <laughs> I'll repeat it in one second. Let me, make this, let me make this little discipline note, though. Do not text other people. This happened at the Poem of the Year Smackdown last time, and that shit is fucked up, <laughs> okay? Only the people here can vote for Poem of the Month. 718-374-1953. Am I forgetting anything, Arthur? I think that might be it. All right, so before we begin the open mic proper, our feature reader tonight is someone you know very well, our professor Shira Ehrlich, and give it up for Shira. Hi, y'all. Yeah, you know. Hello. Yes, good, good, good. Okay, I'm gonna read a poem, which is crazy. Um, and I'm gonna read a poem about, uh, well, uh, it is called, I'm sitting with Bjork in my bathtub, so it's fairly self-explanatory. But it's like about acceptance, so. I'm sitting with Bjork in my bathtub, and she leans, takes my knee in her mouth like a puppy. This is her song. I am a pale mountain from her native landscape. She moans, and it is my name. It is not sexy, it is sexual. My blue wrist suckled in her other mouth is an enchilada. I think about how my car won't sell on Craigslist. I think about how ill-prepared I am to do my taxes. She can tell my mind is elsewhere. She doesn't mind. She sucks a peach. I take her photograph, and it is a selfie. There are so many ways to knead yourself. A faint nipple through the bubbles. She has no reason to hide from me. We are sisters in the army of almost. It is the way we flirt. We are never bored. Bjork uses a can opener to open the bath water. It's working. She slides my mental hospital evaluation papers into the water so they dissipate into tiny paper fish. This is her song. I am a mossy stone remembering its past life as a bird. She names every doctor who never met my eye. It is not political. It is a curse. My chest is an ivy wall replenishing and replenished by her hacking hands. I think about how I threw up the bad medicine. I think about being told to just swallow it. She can tell I am reliving the neon isolation of mind jail. She doesn't flinch, just sucks a jawbreaker. 
I see her tongue change color and exhale a fuck of rivers. There are so many ways to crown yourself. A perfect nipple glaciers through. She has no reason to judge me. We are sisters in the queendom of self. It is the way we work. We are sweetened sweat. Bjork puts a straw to my forehead and drinks the suds. It's lovely. Her eyes are truth wagons chugging along ancient dirt. Thanks, y'all. Thank you for having me. You're so sweet. It's really lovely to see you. Thank you, Shira. If you don't know Shira's work, you should. She's one of our best poets in the borough. She has a new book coming out next year, which we're all very excited about. Can I just ask a favor of you five? I mean, actually, Alan, you're good. You four with your backs to the poet. It'd be great if you could just turn around. I just feel like as a poet, it'd be just super, just feels a little cold when people got their back to you. You know, I know you're listening, but uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, our next poet... It's maybe related to Ingmar Bergman. By the way, I'm going to need your last name for the podcast unless you just go by this one name alone, like Cher, which is incredible. If that's the case, that's fine. Just let me know. Our first part of the open mic list is Ingmar. Give it up for Ingmar. Okay. okay. Hello. Can everybody hear me? Oh, did I do that? Hello. All right. Hi. Uh, so this is November 5th, 2017. Autumn has stopped being cute, so we spend most of our time indoors. You recline on my bed and I press my right ear on your backside, not as a pillow, but as a radio that only plays 90s R&B. You are the reason the word booty occupies 8% of my speech. I can never make poor business decisions with you. On a regular basis, I exchange my red velvet blanket for your warm forehead and start to feel the window next to my bed sighing its ice breath across my face. There was a time we were outside the E-train and I told you what I'd been feeling lately, that I failed this solar system and I wanted to try again in a different one. What you said to me was so simple. You told me that I got this, that I'm the type of earthling that other earthlings ask about. It is a disservice to myself to forget. It's like forgetting that I have a booty who will always be there to hold me down. Who forgets love? Anyone who underappreciates their own ass. That's who. Thank you, Ingmar. I don't think we've ever begun with a booty poem, so props to you. That was nice. Our next poet of the evening is Phil Eggers. Get up for Phil. It's the hardest part of the night. Here we go. This is called A Poem Should Be True. A poem should be true. Holy fuck, is it hot in here? Hold on one minute while I get a fan. 
A poem should be true. I've been reading too much Hemingway. A poem should be true. Let me tell you about how I almost got beat up across the street from Burr, 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 Burr by a buff and scrawny tattooed dude doing ab work on a sidewalk at 12.30 a.m. in Bay Ridge for walking past him. I was just eye contact away from the most ridiculous shit ever. A poem should be true. Sometimes truth has no poetry to it. A poem should be true. It should always be for one person. A poem should be true. Sometimes truth can't be finished. A poem should be true. Sometimes the truth is a list of here's what. A poem should be true. I am really trying. You are really trying. We are really trying. And I motherfucking believe in us. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. So you don't have to be quite so close to the mic, but thank you. <laughs> uh, just be conscious of the recording. Our next poet is Gerald, sometimes goes by Jerry. I'll announce him as Jerry. Give it up for Jerry Wagoner. Take it down a notch, that's about right. Okay, I lost my virginity last uh, two weeks ago. Instead of a rejection, I got an acceptance. So anyway. Uh, he needs a poetry acceptance. Yeah, that's what I meant. He knew, uh, they knew that, though. All right. You got to be clear about that. Oh, OK. First time, OK? That's all. First time. OK, uh, this is a continuation of one that I started in the workshop last month. Uh, Dad was a paper boy in the 20s. I spent more hours counting and stacking his collected Liberty Head nickels than were in the two quart jars. Returning to New York after mom died, I told TSA I was packing 50 pounds of mixed coin, but mostly nickel. They said, step this way. When a parent dies, is it a requirement that we steal something from our siblings? I found a two and a half dollar gold piece next to mom's safe deposit box key in a broken book-shaped First National Bank coin bank from childhood. How much was in that mystery CD you found? How much was left after burial expenses and your family trip? I don't care. I have a two and a half dollar gold piece that no one knows I have. It's small, easy to hide, easy to lose. Above the profile of a noble savage in feathered headdress, it too says liberty. I sound cynical. It was 20 below before the red sun broke the frozen prairie white the soldiers were ordered to aim for the crux where the Blackfoot teepees are tied. Under collapsed, heavy hides, the young, the old, the mothers woke, smothered in black smoke. Easy targets for the cold blue men above. When it was done, the noble grandchildren spent afternoons with one cheek in a stale puddle, the other hand caressing the long brown neck of a Budweiser bottle. 
What did liberty mean to them? Forget it ever happened. I grew up there, waited 50 years to learn the wailing high plain wind is not moved by weeping. Beer shopping yesterday, I found a six-pack branded original sin. So I asked the clerk how long it took humankind to exhaust the original permutations. I mean, after a while, there's a limit. Some sins are original. The rest are only the endless derivative patterns of hurt. And the coins, because a thing is rare, doesn't mean anybody cares. The truth is, old nickels, liberty, or buffalo are bought now by the pound. The silver won't break a C-note. I covet my little gold coin. You can't change a past. No one knows you have. Thank you, Jerry. Congrats losing your virginity. It's definitely the first time I've ever said that. Probably ever, <laughs> but definitely at this event. Our next reader, I believe, is a Yop debuter. Give it up for Beatrice K. Um, so this piece is about going to Trader Joe's on a Sunday. Um, <laughs> called Sundays. Okay. Nobody touched me between Monday and Saturday, except maybe some woman who accidentally touched my boob on the train the other day, and an old man who I helped cross the street on Tuesday. Nobody talked to me about anything real, except maybe my florist who says, who are you buying flowers for? I lie and say they're for my mom, but really, I just buy them for myself when I feel alone. Nobody touched me between Monday and Saturday because my body is not a temple, but a slippery, grisly, rugged, shape-shifting terrain that little dudes from Tinder can't quite figure out. And honestly, I'm 20% gay, but I'm so afraid of disappointing women that I'll never make moves. I know that it's a bad idea to go to Trader Joe's on a Sunday, but nobody has touched me or talked to me about anything real all week. And standing in line for 20 minutes to buy organic pomegranate seeds seems close enough. I like watching people read the nutritional facts on a box of chocolate-covered pretzels. I like to watch people hold hands. I think about how much bigger the bigger hand is than the smaller one, and if the palms get sweaty. They seem like they would never recover if they lost each other to the Sunday crowd. I still don't know the difference between baby kale and Tuscan kale, and organic kale. And when I ask an employee, she says, I don't know either, honey, but we'll find out. We're in this together. And that might be the realest shit anyone has said to me all week. I like knowing that my ginger tea is always going to be in the same place. I like knowing that lots of other people also eat avocados. I like getting in an Uber pool with other people who also have Trader Joe's reusable bags and only live two blocks away from me. Between Monday and Saturday, I am so desperate for intimacy. I miss being in love and being loved and being held like someone would never recover if they lost me. I want to fall asleep on someone's shoulder in the Uber ride home full of grocery bags 
instead of taking an Uber pool with perfect strangers. I want to push my shopping cart through the familiar terrain of my lover's body. I dream of the day I'm allowed to fail and for my partner to tell me, I don't know either, honey, but we'll find out. We're in this together. Thank you. Damn good, Beatrice. Is it Beatrice? 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 Beatrice. All right. Give it up for Beatrice one more time. Our next poet is not only a Yop debuter, but another poet that apparently goes by one name because the reputation precedes itself. Give it up for Jax. Thank you. Midal. She only pulls me out when she is sad. I rumble around in the unknown depths until the worries and pain bubble out and over and begin to make her cry. My teardrop bedroom is too bright, like the moon used to be imagined before it pulled the tides just a little too far. The ocean is supposed to be breathing. It is meant to be mixing tiny cells with hope, meant to mention the ways we could be free. She only calls me when she's angry. Among the voices of miserable company, the wretched masses that crow as witches in days past have promised. Incantations that pull bloodlines out of rickety mansions and leech the calling of life forces for themselves. She only calls me when the rush is too fast, when the headiness of expectation is bursting from her innards into a river that, ra ri river that rapids cannot describe. It is the deluge that drowns that we can't get away from. We have run dry of words worthy of her, cursory glance at all that was not and all that could have been. Potential is just another term for waste, refuse, dripping in exhaustion. People are supposed to be these special things that the universe created enough atoms to form just so, but mostly they are these pains that make her weep, creating me again for my highest purpose in a teardrop bedroom too bright she only pulls me out when she is angry. She is sad. The rush is too fast. Thanks. Thank you, Jax. Just to review the first five readers, that was Jax. Also goes by Jackie. Beatrice, Gerald, Wagoner, Phil Eggers, and Ingemar. Our next reader is a new Brooklyn Poets Fellow. Very happy for her. Give it up for Denise Bell. Thank you. Um, what I'm going to read is part of a, a, a collection I'm writing uh, called Areas from the Edge. Each new day, I reflect on the latter days of my life. Rarely, I've accepted my life has devolved into loss. I'm no longer troubled by implosive, explosive lovers. Sobs of my miscarried lives are, are stilled. I am seldom invited to weddings, baptisms, nursing homes, visits keep me busy. I refuse to count the times I've held unresponsive hands, pretended to have conversations with grunts, 
force myself to have cheerful soliloquies to empty, with empty and to empty eyes. Funeral directors nod and smile at my too familiar face. I find hope, solace in my new mantra, release me from bearing witness to and living a bereaving life. Thank you, Denise Bell. How's everyone doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm going up and down, Arthur. Some people are very loud, some people are quiet. All right, that's my answer. You're right next to the speaker. Just, just lower your ear. <laughs> I'll try to raise it. The cord came out? Oh, well, that explains it. I thought it was a little low. Is it plugged back in now? Is it plugged back in? It's better? Okay. It's good we had that conversation. Thank you. <laughs> Our next reader is Harvey Sauce. Give it up for Harvey. For those of you who haven't gotten one of these, uh, please see me if you like. Uh, I host an open mic uh, generally on the last Sunday of each month at the historic uh, and deservedly so Montour Club in Park Slope, Brooklyn, right around the corner from Grand Army Plaza. We have a mix of features, generally two, an open mic and at least a good two hours to read. Some of you have already been there. The rest of you are welcome. Uh, this one is called... I Rosinante. Enough of this tilting at windmills already. I want to be headed anywhere but up yon hill. I Rosinante am going on strike. I was born to run from, not towards, free-willing, pinwheeling hardwood blades. For an equine such as myself, jousting against hilltop windmills is biting the hand that feeds you. Our motto is and ought to be in grain we trust, not in Spanish boars who comparison us all in Moorish silver. What am I, the warhorse of a Charlemagne, of an Ivanhoe, of a Lancelot, any sort of gantleted hero? No, just some poor schmuck stuck in a rut who will fight, as I most decidedly will not, till the windmill of death claps him a good one puts paid to the cage match he envisions himself in. Hereafter, I nay say, let an Uber be his ride, his cabriolet, his war chariot, his stalking horse. Cruel fate, cruel horse traitor, to have saddled me with such a benighted night this way. I've done my time, hard time, so put me out to pasture, please. Those blades, double-edged, each bright as an Excalibur, are playing at whack a Rosinante with deadly intent, ceaselessly driven by the wind, a left, a right, a left, and I'm down, if not quite out for the count. It's little comfort that he's down with me. Quixotic lunatic who won't stay down. 
contrary to the wishes of odds makers far and wide, the windmill being the odds on favorite, my tormentor coming in as a lopsided underdog at 100 to 1. Lest you, reader, think me cowardly or mulish to want to dislodge my knock-kneed fool, my dead-weight Don Quixote, I'm not so much into warfare anymore as I am into mares. My kind of gals, those, a whole herd of them, gently ovulating on terrace slopes, upraised tails beckoning, a soft La Mancha breeze luffing light bedazzled manes, spurring pheromones towards me, tickle me Elmo if even mules wouldn't be aroused. I swear I could have been a contender, Mr. Horse Trader Charlie, but for you and DQ. A razzle-dazzle lover, not a fighter, a horse's horse, if I may say so. To be spoken of glowingly in future by the likes of Mr. Ed, a steadfast, tireless stallion of almost mythic proportions, as sought after as Bucephalus, or indeed anyone, for breeding purposes. In consequence of which, I say to humankind that I, Rocinante, being of sound mind, if barely, and having been self-disqualified, declare myself to be not striking, retired. Goodbye, Hilltop. Goodbye, Hilltop Windmill. Arms and armor. We're quits, DQ. Don't write. Don't call. In the face of all reproof, all platitudes and Pleistocene arguments that you and others of your type may think of, carrot cake, for instance, with sugary icing to entice me. I'm done with Don's and you and moving on to donias of my own species. Thank you, Harvey. That was Harvey Sauce, S-O-S-S. Or you could just text me, S-A-U-C-E. That would also work. Our next poet, I'm glad a few people got that. People are like, what? What does that spell, L-A? Our next reader, former Broken Poet student of mine, that's all I got. Give it up for Lauren Gerber Flurry. Hello. All right. Is this good? All right. Cool. Hey, this is called From Up Above. The shadows of clouds are papery things. Full of nothing, mirroring nothing, they float over a sea that cannot hold them. Over a sea so still it is more like a desert, nothing playing, nothing hiding beneath its waters. The real play is up above, where vapor transpires as crystalline pockets and becomes true nothing. The pinging shadows of their droplets invite all bodies to come and play, to weave between the gaps and the nothing. Dipping, ducking, and twirling, hoping to spring up from flat nothing into a something. But could a something really be made from a nothing? Can cities spring from clouds as clouds become something in our eyes? Find the space, sorry, find the shape of a blanket, shape of a dinosaur, a rocket, a bird, your face. A little softer about the edges, so much clearer as nothing. 
The shadows of clouds are papery things, and yours cuts me into something. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. I like how some people sign their name. Lauren was one of them. Good signature. <laughs> anyway, our next poet, another actually current Brooklyn Poets student of mine, very great poet, currently working on blank verse with me, which I'm sure she loves. Give it up for Bonnie Belay. This is an ode that I've been working on instead of the blank verse poem. <laughs> I started it yesterday. But it's got the first few lines came from a torn piece of paper I found in a notebook that I wrote 35 years ago. Ode to the two of us. You came without packaging, strings untied, salt sweat skin, sandy hair, a loose smile and useful hands that could build and mend. You love to talk, arguing either side of any argument, something it took time to get used to. You do, drew cartoons, I wrote poetry. Neither of us prepared for the market. To make money, we garden city rooftops with great slashes of flowers in our clients' favorite colors. You had a talent for love, even as we both changed over decades. We worked together. We lived together. Old enough to be ready for love, we got married. And it's been the, for the better. I need you like chocolate, like coffee, like salt. And like the dog, I cuddle with you whenever I can. But I don't sit on the couch with my head out the window, because I know what time you come home. I love you like early summer. I love you like the boisterous green Quaker parrots by Brooklyn College, like strong rain that ends a drought. Damn good, Bonnie. Was that in blank first, Bonnie? Was that in blank first? We, we can dream. <laughs> Our next poet also signs his name because he's a badass. Give it up for Alan Braverman. Yeah, it's good. We don't need a Viagra. It's, it's tall enough. Okay. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, as a retired teacher in 2004, I, uh, in the pre-iPhone era, I had to reflect on youngsters living in our contemporary world. Uh, living in our contemporary world, using computers and being obsessed with them. The title of the poem is Children of Today, and ironically, in North Babylon, just recently, yesterday, a kid, third grader, was looking at porno by a fellow student and uh, unmonitored by the teacher. It's called The Children of Today. Oh, I hope I can read this. Uh, our, 
Our neighborhood in Kensington, Brooklyn, with inter intersecting streets, a study of urban geometry, where high rises overshadow private homes from another century, while windows embrace air conditioners along with competing buildings, challenging the sky, and a singular entranceway for the tenants, and some are transported by elevators to a heavenly realm, way above the pedestrians below, who appear as migrating insects, meandering along paved streets as cars race by, and the children are voluntary prisoners in their apartments, playing on computers, some visually navigating violent videos on handheld devices, and if old enough, texting and talking on iPhones, ignoring the three-dimensional world outside their windows while playing while playgrounds are nearly empty. Streets are only paths for the youngs to enter. Their homes uh, or rise within their multiplex dwellings to see the real world as an apparition. While I reflect on, the, on my youth in Jackson Heights, Queens, over half a century ago, when kids played Ring Alivio, Patsy, Tag, Johnny on the Pony in the streets or went into the gutter with some risk to engage in stickball or simply having a catch. And nearby our proverbial playground where basketball and handball courts as we enjoy the parentless world out of doors. And now with all the consuming obsession with computers where ball fails are now dog runs or plays for isolated skateboarders and the stoops in front of the private homes generally empty of young torsos with the only sound heard are honking horns as teenagers, some accompanied by parents, many with earphones embedded, wires dangling, looking robotic, lost in their own world of music or texting as the thumbs rhythmically tap on their, on their miniature computer screens ignoring the few youngsters who dare to play outside of their house enclaves. Or the one to six-year-olds where on swings and sliding ponds and still a source of joy and excitement and seeing the ever-present cell phone talkers whose conversations appear as psychotic dialogues. And these obsessed adults are sadly role models for the many young whose world will be encased in a smartphone, iMac, or iPad. And for some, the violent video scene could be reenacted in real time. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Our next reader is a former Brooklyn Poets Yawper of the Year. If you don't know what that is, the mystique is better. Give it up for Julie Hart. Okay, uh, hi everybody. I um, happened to write a few odes recently and then I heard that we were doing odes tonight and I was like, yay. <laughs> so this is the ode to yellow. You brighten dark winter mornings, one daffodil nodding its sun-filled head in early dawn. I look for you everywhere. I see you in sulfur, in snapdragons, in segments of a dragonfly, stripes on wasps, on fuzzy bumblebee abdomens, 
the crest of a cockatoo begging for crusts of bread. Canaries flit you across the sky. Caterpillars parade you up the trunks of trees. Tulips jumble you in light breezes. You dip between trees as a goldfinch. You lurk inside the crocus filaments of prized saffron. The pear embodies you. There have been days when you were all that kept me from an inexplicable despair. Freesia. Pages of a well-thumbed paperback. Hidden inside our bodies, you color gall gallstones, blood plasma, the lobes of fat along our livers. Sweetly, you temper honey, raw sugar, semolina, lemons, and Sauvignon Blanc. You give the polar bear his definition against the snow. Sienna, ochre, topaz, the fifth instar of the silk moth larvae, the breast of the teal drake as he pushes it across the pond, currants not red, stamens of honeysuckle, pale tints of sencha in a white cup. Wax, resin from the gamboge tree used to dye the robes of Buddhist monks, egg yolks, aspen leaves in autumn, mustard seeds, forsythia, uranium oxide, urine, cadmium sulfide, turmeric. You ruin me with the way you infuse yourself into the creamy glow of English sunlight. You jaundice me for all the other colors. You rescue me from blue. Thank you very much. Thank you, Julie. That was Julie Hart, H-A-R-T, not H-E-A-R-T. It won't matter if you text me that. Uh, our next reader is a former Brooklyn Poets retreater. Little side note, the Brooklyn Poets Hamptons retreat is on this year, and we have a brand new house. It's going, not technically a, like an actual brand new house, but a brand new house for the retreat. It's huge, there's like 19 bedrooms. It's gonna be in Amagansett, end of June. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but it's amazing. It will open tomorrow for registration. So uh, get a good night's rest, wake up early, get ready to register for that shit. <laughs> Our next poet was at the retreat, I think last year? Was it last year? Two years ago. I'm talking about you, Callie. Oh, she, that's right, you don't know what I'm talking about you. Yeah. Oh, yeah okay, give it up for Callie Rogers. The retreat is highly recommended. I would definitely check it out. Um, this is called Ventilation Shutdown. <clears throat> oh, you know what? This actually originated at the retreat last year, this poem. We, we didn't even plan that, I swear. Okay. <laughs> Ventilation Shutdown. The USDA recommends that the barn reach a minimum of 104 degrees for a minimum of three hours. Choking the birds with dense foam is a more humane depopulation method, but tricky. When creatures in crates are stacked like pallets of family-sized peanut butter at Costco, the foam can't reach that high. Better to bake them alive, 500,000 chickens at once. Thank you, Kelly. Well done. Good advertising. I appreciate it. Totally organic advertising. Don't even have to pay for it. It's the best kind. 
Our next poet is a fantastic poet. You all know her if you're a regular here at the Yop. Give it up for Del Lemon. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Um, and thank you to I'm, some people in the room helped me with this poem, so I'm just going to thank them in advance. Uh, it's called Crashing. I wonder if I will crash like the stock market. I have been waiting for it to crash, and everyone, including me, is asking why now. I am asking what took it so long. A lunatic has been in the White House for over a year, but it doesn't register. The stock market keeps escalating happy as a clam. Are clams happy? How did that expression come about? <clears throat> clams at high tide are happy because no one can find them, unlike low tide. Clams aside, what triggered this sudden crash? Perhaps the stock market was just too happy and it needed to correct itself, just as I seem a bit too happy and might need to correct myself. Maybe because that woman stepped down as head of the Federal Reserve and she's done such a good job keeping the economy going and not crashing. Maybe it's tensions with North Korea and the threat of nuclear war crashing and more crashing. Or new tax laws combined with a budget that will make the deficit explode. Or the investigation into collusion with Russia. I think the lunatic did and does collude, which will bring him down crashing. So many things could have caused that great beast known as the stock market to falter. Now it's a bull market, then it's a bear. Who cares? I wonder what will make me crash like the stock market. I'm so happy and I can't figure out why. Maybe it's some weird effect from menopause. I'm not writing a lot except for this poem. My computer is old and could crash at any minute. So many things to catch up on and my mind is mush. What is this notice that I received from the NYC Department of Finance that I refuse to look at? Why am I so happy? Is it because I'm about to crash, but I haven't crashed yet? Funny, the stock market crashing the same week time as the Super Bowl, and people finally realizing that football makes those guys lose their minds. They don't look happy. I haven't seen Tom Brady smile in years, and yet we watch them <laughs> crashing into each other without acknowledging that they will suffer as a result. And we suffer because we are not aware of how this violent sport affects us. It's all got to change, but change takes time. We just hope it changes before it's too late. Yet I'm happy, even as, I, as the world falls apart before my eyes. I am happy as a clam in her shell, buried in sand under a blanket of water. No one can see me here, and I am safe at high tide, but who knows what will happen at low tide. Maybe my happiness is my only hope. I am healthy for now. I don't feel any physical pain. My dog is nestled beside me. It's quiet. The heater is working. I have plans to see some friends, go to a movie. I feel lucky, and I am. I have a lot of art in my life, and I don't care about the emotional pain because it doesn't matter compared to everything else, to physical pain, to dying, to markets crashing, to people getting smashed, to nuclear war and deadly environmental disasters. What's emotional pain compared to all that? And despite everything, there's so much to be grateful for. I'm presently transfixed by a travel show on PBS about Cornwall, England. I remember walking on those cliffs with the ocean crashing below 40 years ago. Not me, not the stock market, not football players. It was the ocean crashing. Thank you so much. God damn. You know that's what I say when I like it. God damn. That was Del Lemon. <laughs> I haven't seen Tom Brady smile in years. 
poor Tom, as people say. Our next reader uh, apparently lives on, on my street with Ana Maria, so that makes her extra special. So give her an extra special round of applause. Give it up for Emma Rojas. Is this a good volume? Yeah? Okay. Uh, so this, this poem actually came out of a class that I didn't take. I just got the assignment. Um, it was from Jason's class, and it's a how-to poem. How to explain you're half Hispanic but don't speak Spanish. First of all, if you can avoid it, just don't tell people. And only give your last name if absolutely necessary. Maybe get married and take your husband's last name indefinitely. Certainly don't hyphenate, that will only complicate the assumptions people might make, like they might assume, especially if your husband has darker hair and eyes than yours, and happens to have a lisp that he is from Spain, which will thoroughly disappoint the romantic when they find out that isn't the case. But if avoidance is completely impossible, and your Spanish last name that makes people send you mail in a language you don't speak must be given, like when you're at the bank or the DMV, when the attendant upon learning your ethnicity asks if you speak Spanish, lying is a mostly okay option. If they only speak English, just tell them, yes, you speak Spanish, and leave it at that. This way, you can avoid unearthing the shame you inherited because your parents assured you the other half of who you are is not worth understanding or getting to know by not teaching you your other language. The next question to avoid is whether your mother or father is Hispanic. I know you would think it's obvious given that your last name is Spanish and that without exception, most Hispanic countries are patriarchal in nature. But don't put it past people to not ask stupid questions when they're staring at you like you've just turned into either an exotic creature or a washed up piece of trash they don't know what to do with. It's better to brush this question off or again resort to lying before offering the truth about whether your mother or father is Hispanic. Instead, tell them neither because they're both dead. They died on a boat bringing you to this country and it was your tío and tía who brought you up and didn't teach you your other language because they thought it'd help you to assimilate. And now because you're a dreamer, you might just get deported to a country you don't even know the language of. Let the fool who asked you such a stupid question feel the discomfort because they weren't going to like any possible answer you'd give them. You see, because if you tell the wrong woman your mother is Hispanic, she'll look at you like your mother is a whore who stole her man from her, which in your grandmother's case is partly true, but it's better not to admit that. Uh, because she did it for socioeconomic reasons that it's also better to avoid in conversation. And if you tell the wrong man your father is Hispanic, he'll look at you with an expression that suggests he believes it's his lucky night. You may wonder if that's true and dare to test it, but I felt those thoughts penetrate me in a single glance and learned firsthand it's better to be vague or flat out lie than to be feel molested by accidentally revealing more of yourself than is considered decent. Because if you do reveal more of yourself than is considered decent, 
It's your own fault that man or woman pierced you with their indecent thoughts. You should have known to keep yourself covered up, but I guess it makes sense that you don't know because you're half not from this country. So what I'm really trying to tell you is how being who you are is not really okay because you don't fit into a category that's convenient because you're mixed up in a truth people don't want to talk about and that when you lied on your college application about being Caucasian because you didn't want to hand out or to use your heritage as a bartering chip or to degrade your merit in the eyes of your peers by filling one of the spots allotted specifically for a person like yourself, you put a gag in your mouth and tied your own hands behind your back. And what I'm really trying to tell you is that the shame isn't that your parents didn't teach you your other language. The real shame is that you're 28 and you continue to accept that half of who you are is something to be avoided in conversation and that you still use that as an excuse to hide behind so that you don't have to deal with the embarrassment and frustration of how difficult it is to learn a new language. And what I'm really trying to say is that when you tell people you're half Hispanic, but you don't speak Spanish. What you're really saying is that you prefer convenience over truth, that you prefer to leave half of who you are and the mountain of people who'd like to be where you are to fend for themselves so you can get ahead. But more than that, what I'm trying to tell you is that it's not too late. What I'm really trying to explain is how to untie your hands and take the gag out of your mouth. What I'm really trying to explain is that it's okay you've been afraid to not be completely yourself. It's okay you've been capitalizing on your luck in the genetic lottery to have turned out looking so white and standing behind a facade hoping no one will find out who you really are. Though in truth, if you take a step back, you'll see you're 100% human like everybody else and there's no shame in that. Goddamn, Jackson Street Poets right there. That was so good. Props to that grandmother, by the way. You know? <laughs> Do y'all remember that part of the poem? I enjoyed that part especially. Our next reader is a Brooklyn Poets Yop legend. Give it up for Richard Fine. <laughs> Two stops short from Broadway. There she is, waiting for the uptown train. Ah, but mine is downtown. Oh, it's her, her shapely physique, her face, that same necklace, definitely her. Can I run out and go uptown with her? and then go backwards through those stations we passed so long ago. After all, we're just two, <clears throat> after all, we're just two stops short from Broadway. If so, then what kind of play will I perform on this metro stage? One of astonishment, with pleasant smiles perhaps, then a hint of welcome in her eyes. After all, we're only two stops short of Broadway. 
Would the final curtain fall on a romance resurrected? Or is there a heartbreaking wedding ring on her finger? Wait, I see no ring. She's alone, all alone like me. But maybe there's a boyfriend waiting at the other end. Then she'd greet me with a very pretend smile. She turns, lifts her head, and gives me just a fleeting glance, an oblivious fleeting glance. Am I so absent from her memory? But then again, I didn't expect her, nor did she me. <clears throat> but she's going uptown, and I'm going downtown. So once more, we find ourselves traveling in opposite directions. I could rush out, switch trains, and with my opening line would be, Rachel, hi, what a pleasant surprise. The both of us standing face to face with an entire future script yet to be written. Of course, I could just sit still as my train moves on while I watch her grow smaller, smaller still, and finally vanish. I must decide what performance in the next five, few seconds should I play out on this crowded commuter stage. The doors are still open, but not for much longer. I have about 20 seconds left, 19, 18, and now the climactic Scene, lights, camera, action, decide. Thank you, Richard. Our next reader is not only the founding editor of Curlew Quarterly, but he, he was at uh, AWP with me in Tampa, and I'm sure is totally exhausted and probably still a little hungover. So give him a warm welcome, Isaac Myers III. Thanks, Jason. Um, so this is uh, Curlew Quarterly. This is our second issue. And uh, we are accepting submissions. And uh, we publish you know, poetry, and we're basically trying to chronicle what it's like to live as a poet uh, or writer in New York City. So if we publish your work, we'll actually uh, go into your house and do some photos and an interview as well. Jason was in the first one, and if you're interested, I'll uh, you know, let you just whack, flag me down afterwards. So, so uh, one poem, LaGuardia. On a Tuesday on West 8th Street at 7 in the evening, I'm standing without a coat in the colds and thinking of you. Some nights, my mind tries to keep up with the city, tries to count the yellow cabs that carry the men with black shoes and brown suitcases uptown toward the park. Some nights, I walk down Broadway, count the car horns as best as I can, take note of the women who walk by in gray and think of you. I don't let my mind linger on your hair for too long. I only think of your eyes gray for as long as it takes to get from Houston to spring. And at the Bowery in Delancey, I stand still. 
It's March, so the moon appears in the sky a bit later than when you were here. But it's easy to keep walking, easy to go east toward the bridge across the river and over into Brooklyn, easy to look north towards the Queensboro and think of you, easy to imagine you 700 miles away and boarding a plane for LaGuardia. Thank you. That was Isaac Myers III. When you said LaGuardia, I thought that poem was going to be about AWP. <laughs> what happened to that snowstorm last week, by the way? I like went on Wednesday. I was like, this is going to be canceled. It's going to be canceled. It's going to be canceled. Not only was it not canceled, it took me 15 minutes to get to LaGuardia. I got, on my, got through security in five minutes. It's like the best travel day ever. <laughs> I want more store mornings like that. Our next reader, I think it's your birthday, right, Bill? Okay. Well, we can, you weren't here last month, though, right? Let's pretend it's Bill Livingston's birthday. Give it up for Bill. Keep it going for Jason. Making it happen, even with the juggernaut of Hollywood looming outside and upstairs. It's amazing. So this happens to be an ode. It's a, about three years old, actually. Um, this is from my forthcoming chapbook called Good Evening, Ladies and Gentrifiers. Uh, about three years ago, this guy named Rob Delaney, he put out a tweet that said, a neck tattoo would say, used to say, watch out, motherfucker. Now it says, I'd love to read you a poem about my vegan bicycle. This is called My Vegan Bicycle. Simple, sleek, matte black fixie with towny bars, organic hemp panniers, and pleather saddle. My Vegan Bicycle takes me across Bergen, then down Vanderbilt to the locally sourced mustache wax boutique housed in the space previously occupied by the artisanal mayonnaise shop recoiling at the ghosts of animal products along the way. It takes me past the projects of Gowanus and the protests of Grand Army Plaza to the Brooklyn Navy Yard, where I sign a lease for my pure water craft microbrewery in a tiny space between two pickle masters, changing the game on the dill. My vegan bicycle takes me past stoop-bound Brooklyn lifers to the free-range kayaks of the East River where I fall in, panic, wait for my skin to fall away, then fear for my life expectancy in general. It takes me past the architectural death and gunshot decay of East New York, looking over my shoulder to the relative safety of Bushwick where I score that sweet Bubba Kush from a selection hand-curated by my pot sommelier who also grows heirloom tomatoes on a rooftop farm for one of 10,000 brick oven pizzerias in the borough. My vegan bicycle takes me through pre-gentrified brownstone melting pot streets, fading Obama signs and overfed cats in the windows, to the well-reviewed gastropub for handcrafted garden-to-glass cocktails, lovingly shaken with overpriced locally distilled spirits and hand-chipped gourmet ice cubes, readying myself for some sustainable karaoke Brooklyn boy Neil, Neil Diamond, of course. 
It takes me past block parties and screaming children soaked by the mercy of late summer fire hydrants to the zip car which I find on an app situated on my iPhone 8 between my green market finder app and my organic wine ratings app. My vegan bicycle looks peaceful on the car rack as we drive north into the Hudson Valley and the South Carolina father in the car behind, staring unimpressed, falls asleep at the wheel, dreaming of good barbecue, assault rifles, and a stronger, whiter America before the rumble strips save his life for the fifth time that day. Thank you. Good stuff. Vegan bicycle. I know Anna and Maria appreciated that. Uh, sustainable karaoke, huh? <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I sing sustainable karaoke myself, personally. <laughs> we should make a night of it. Uh, is Shara here, Shara Hardison? That's not the proper answer. You know the proper answer. Thank you, negative. Our next reader is Yopper of the Year for 2017. Give it up for Emily Blair. Um, so I guess in this city, we all end up writing about rats eventually. So this is my rat poem. But it was also inspired by, a, um, I read about a study they did that proved that rats experience regret. I know. So this is called Rats Experience Regret. They look back over their shoulders at a cherry-flavored reward. They look back over their shoulders at the laboratory door. Sometimes they wake up wondering about the system, regretting our similarities as warm-blooded mammals with the same basic body plans and goals like home ownership, regretting our differences in lifespan and institutional support. Like us, they have metacognition and know what they don't know, like where the resting platform is in the water maze, or why a group of rats should be called a mischief and a group of humans a committee. Wild rats carry disease and shame, can tread water for three days or fall 50 feet and survive. They have bigger hearts. One liked to stop by and sort the recycling bin in my kitchen faint clanking barely discernible over the waves of my white noise machine. When I turned the machine off, the rat would stop, waiting for the sound of surf we both found so soothing to return. Another rat once had a winter picnic inside the hood of my parked car, leaving chicken bones strewn all over the engine. Neither of us could think of one good reason not to move to California. Then there's the rat I saw last night, swinging on a water pipe like a trapeze artist, straight into my open basement window, probably with a crazy giggle. Outside a lab, there's no way to be sure, since rat laughter is ultrasonic. Thank you, Emily. Rats, very nice. Uh, our next reader is our events assistant who signs you all in and, more importantly, takes your money so we can do more events like this. Give it up for the brilliant Tess Congo. Uh, 
I'll just be on my tiptoes. <laughs> in America, you have a greater chance. In America, you have a greater chance of killing the people you hate with a gun. In America, you have a greater chance of killing the people you love with a gun. In America, a gun may not look like a gun. In America, too many things look like guns. In America, you have a greater chance of being killed for loading your arms with a Bible, a sandwich, a game controller, a hairbrush, or a wallet that resembles a gun. America, do you see clouds in the guns? America, do we have our hands on our guns? In America, you may believe yourself a good guy with a gun. In America, every good guy has the potential to be a bad guy with a gun. In America, the police officer who pulls you over pulls out a gun, is a good guy, is a bad guy with a gun. In America, politicians preach with guns. In America, the sermon tastes like pennies and blood in the gums. In America, you have a greater chance of losing a child to a gun. In America, you have a greater chance of losing a child. In America, you have a greater chance of losing. In America, you have a gun or a chance. In America, you have a gun. Damn good, Tess. Thank you for that. We are on to the wait list. Let me just review a couple names before we get there. That was Tess Congo. Before that was Emily Blair. Before that was Bill Livingston. Isaac Myers III. Richard Fine. Emma Rojas. Del Lemon. Callie Rogers. Julie Hart. Alan Braverman. Bonnie Belay. We'll go over this again at the end of the night. I think we have time for three readers off the wait list. Our first reader off the wait list uh, is a wonderful poet. Give it up for Creighton Blinn. Hey, can you hear me? Okay. So um, I just want to say that the poem I'm be, we will be <coughs> start over. The poem I'll be performing tonight was just recently published a couple weeks ago. So Yay. thanks. Some blustery evening. He wonders how she remembers their chance meeting, the bitter February chill warmed by smart conversation, tequila and sensual embraces, mutual passions expressed by her gleeful entreaties and his overeager kisses, a sense of connection stretching nearly to dawn and suggesting if circumstances had been otherwise if perhaps a different phrase had been uttered. Their play might have amounted to something more substantial. Unless he had simply fit her momentary desire, satisfying some passing fancy later relegated to the status of a humorous antidote, exchanged between friends over glasses of wine. It's a small neighborhood, she offered, before leaving. Perhaps one day their paths will cross again and he'll glimpse the answer in her eyes. Thank you.
Thank you, Creighton. That was beautiful. Melancholy, but nice. Our next to last poet, in other words, our penultimate poet, which might be my new favorite phrase. Give it up for Sasha Warner Berry. Thank you. Um, I love the word penultimate because it sounds like you're the greatest, even though that's not what it means. Um, so I used a constraint to write this poem that then I made the title, where you aren't allowed to use certain vowels. Um, so each stanza only uses a different vowel, you'll see. It's called Vocalic Lipogram. Asphalt altar marks fatal blast. Cards amass. Black-clad clan clasp hands past gawk and flash. Mama asks calm. Dad stands back, a vacant mask. Endless sentence. He street bled, left where he fell. She held senseless, then never emerged. Yet the bereft never seek revenge. We beg shelter, even here. Fright's victim insists his mind tricks him. His kill is instinct. Wild filth. Fight this, quick, bring signs, lift fists. Still, his illicit wrists miss binding. I'm sick. No lockdown for cops, so crook who shot boy got off. Common plot of loss. Cool glow throbs from cotton blossom moon. Oh, brown god, swoop down. Hollow words, just us. Gut punch, hurl slurs. Church burnt, strung up. Shun us, slum us, dump drugs, dub us dumb thugs, but trust such hurt unsung must burst. Thank you, Sasha. Nicely done. It's your first time here, right? It's your first time here, Sasha? Yeah, give it up. Another round of applause for our YAP debut, Sasha Warner Berry. And our final reader of the night is a, not only a former Yopper of the Year winner, but a former Poem of the Year winner. So he's taken home all, it's like winning the, I don't know, the Triple Crown and, and the Cy Young. I don't know if that's possible. But maybe he could make it possible. Give it up for Arthur Russell. but the greatest prize was all of you. And it's true, I missed last month because I was working and I couldn't even write poems because I was working so much. So when I got back to work, I was afraid that I'd lost whatever groove I was in before. And um, this poem came out of it and it really had to do with having missed all of you in a way, and having missed all of this in a way. It's called Relations. What it means to join a team who will have you is that hold up in a city job, suburban mall, or dried and hollow log, you'll find a fellow who can help adjust your grip or stance or attitude. 
suggest a change of method, or remind you when you're all used up that days are only days and misses are forgiven on the dugout steps by rubbing someone's head. I have such a team assembled on my bookshelves all around the outside of my room, immune to time and quick to stay asleep until I call them and difficult to reckon then because they never stop believing in themselves exactly as they made themselves and each is only with me for as long as I can give them what they wanted all along. And this I only do in shortened stands by writing in the margins, by writing in their margins, like the sixth grade boy who wrote, I love you, with a felt tip pen on Hollis Seidner's hand in the schoolyard near the cyclone fence around the unused flower garden just outside the kindergarten. Some I never knew except in runes, some in offices on college afternoons where thoughts wore fenders to protect their brittle hulls. But we never did go far enough because they never loved me well enough. It always was for love, though unlike life, where wanting more than people have to offer is a barrier. In books, where adamantine is a virtue, relations take a subtler course, and patience grows in silence between visits to the well. The ever-present present lands me side by side with time's most prickly souls, where I'm happy both myself alone or wearing someone's jersey. Thank you. Thank you. We didn't plan that either, but that worked really well with my introduction. Triple Crown, Cy Young. <laughs> Thank you. That was Arthur Russell. So just to review, I'm going to go backwards. Again, I'm going to give you my number a few times. The number to vote for Poem of the Month is 718-374-1953. If, by the way, you read, you can vote for yourself, but maybe it's cooler to vote for another poet. I don't know. It might be good karma. Also, by the way, if you read for the open mic and you're new here and you uh, didn't put your email down, you don't necessarily have to be in the newsletter, but uh, if you happen to win, it's good to have your email because I contact you about it and get the title of the poem, make sure that's right. So if you participated and you haven't been here before, you know I don't have your email, uh, do me a favor and write it down on the sign-up list over there. So to review, that was Arthur Russell. Before that was Sasha Warner-Berry. Before that was Creighton Blinn, Tess Congo, Emily Blair, Bill Livingston, Isaac Myers III, Richard Fine, Emma Rojas, Del Lemon, Callie Rogers, Julie Hart, Alan Braverman, Bonnie Belay, Lauren Gerber-Fleury, Harvey Sauce, Denise Bell, Jax or Jackie Schicker, Beatrice K, Jerry Wagoner, Phil Eggers, and Ingemar. I found out your last name is Ramirez, is that correct? Oh, yeah. yeah, Ingemar Ramirez. I read the sign of shame. Uh, once again, the number to vote for Poem of the Month is 718-374-1953. Um, 
again, the Yopcast, the podcast, if you're on this, you don't want to be on there, come tell me. We usually publish that uh, on SoundCloud and iTunes a couple weeks after the Yop. A couple of announcements before we go. Uh, we have a few more spring workshops that have not filled yet. Uh, some other workshop registration deadlines are approaching. If you're interested, these are five-week workshops where you get to study with the poet in close quarters, usually in their own home, sometimes in a, a home that's been donated for the workshop. Uh, no more than 10 students. Uh, we have a workshop with Anna Bazicevich. She's teaching a workshop on poetry and film, which should be super interesting. Uh, also, a workshop on the sonnet, if you're interested in getting super nerdy, with Gregory Crosby. I believe that's in Sunset Park in his house. And the final workshop of the year is a workshop on how to publish your poems, if you're interested in that. A few of you have mentioned getting your first publications. Uh, I'm not going to repeat Jerry's metaphor, but it's a great metaphor. Uh, how to publish your poems with Joanna C. Valente. That also is in Sunset Park. So check out brokenpoets.org if you are interested in more information about that. We also have flyers up there if you'd just rather read something in print. Uh, the next YAWP is at the second Monday of April, April 9th. This is actually our fifth anniversary YAWP, so it's an extra special one. Hopefully we'll be back upstairs. I think that's probably where we'll be April 9th. One more round of applause for 61 Local. <laughs> Front of the house manager, Stephanie Cohen. This is a beautiful space. We could not do this without them, and I mean that sincerely. They are a true supporter of the arts and the community. Please buy some drinks, buy some food. I am starving, so I'm definitely going to buy like eight things. Stick around, mingle, meet each other. Community is about this. Bodies in the room together. Community doesn't happen on the internet. I know some people think that. Certainly doesn't happen on Twitter. You actually have to be in a physical space with other people, other bodies, other voices, other backgrounds that are different from yours. So take the time, especially if you're new here, meet some other people, you know, hang out in this space, eat, drink, be merry. That's it. See you next month. Thanks for coming. There you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for March 12th, 2018. Huge thanks to our professor Shira Ehrlichman for leading a wonderful workshop on odes and featuring before the open mic proper got started. Shira is an amazing poet, one of our finest. Her new book comes out with Alice James next year. We are very much looking forward to that. Congratulations to Emma Rojas, a regular yawper now, I could say. She's been a regular yawper now for about a year, Broken Poets member. We're very happy that Emma won March Yawp Poem of the Month for her incredible poem, How to Explain You're Half Hispanic But Don't Speak Spanish. Emma has earned free admission to a future yawp in a spot in our 2018 Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way on Monday, December 10th. That is the December Yop uh, at the end of the year. If you want to find out more about the Brooklyn Poets Yop and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org, look for the events part of the website, look for the Yop and sign up right there. The open mic lineup does fill pretty quickly, so I recommend you sign up as soon as possible. In fact, as of this recording, the open lineup, open mic lineup is actually already full, but you can still get on the mic if you show up early 
to the Yawp workshop and put your name down for one of the five open spots at the beginning of the lineup or for the waitlist. We usually get to a few waitlist poets every month. It's wonderful to be a waitlist poet, I think. I mean, basically, you know, waitlist is an adjective that describes a poet's life anyway. Uh, our next yawp is a special one. It's our fifth anniversary yawp. We've been doing the yawp since 2013. That comes your way on Monday, April 9th. And our good friend, Brooklyn Poet Laureate, Tina Chang, will be in the house for the second time in the history of the yawp. If you remember, she led our first anniversary yawp on, uh, I'm not sure what day that was, but in April 2013. That was the last time Tina was in the house to teach the yawp. So we're very excited to have her back. Uh, again, hopefully you can come out for that. It starts at 7. And that is all I've got for April. Hope you enjoyed it. Definitely, if you don't subscribe already, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Rate us. We love that five-star rating, of course. Uh, and thank you for listening. Be well, be safe, and uh, really uh, try to contain yourself with all of the chaos and insanity happening all around us right now in the world. Thank you. See you next time.